Well, today is a wonderful day. I, um, yeah, I don't know how I saw the phone ringing. My phone ringer is always off, and at about 2 o'clock in the morning, the phone is just ringing and ringing, and I looked at it, and the Lord allowed me to wake up. And, um, you know, it just, uh, you know, Julianne just says, Mom got hit by a car. <laughs> She's okay. And I immediately start jumping out of bed because I'm going to where that is. And then it occurs to me that she's in Florida <laughs> and there's no way I can get there, uh, which is really, you know, that was a, like a, a really tough just moment. But the thing that I think about is uh, the difference, like the fact that she actually got hit by a car and her leg was pinned to another car, but her leg was not broken. Like, like the, just God's protection in that. She could have lost her leg. That could have been really serious. And uh, just being on the phone, a few of the things that stood out to me was one, you know, the lady came over and apologized to Michelle. And the first thing out of Michelle's mouth, she said, I'm really sorry. Michelle's like, I forgive you. And she kept apologizing. Michelle just kept saying, I forgive you. It just, it was just Michelle's soft heartedness in the middle of that moment like stood out to me and then she stuck her phone in her purse in the in the ambulance and so I got to listen to the guy checking her leg and I got to hear that she could w wiggle her toes and so anyway that was just really awesome and then about an hour ago her cousin sent me a picture of Julianne and Michelle sleeping on the couch so that 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 is good news and I'm thankful that you know when Michelle gets home she's still gonna have a leg that's awesome and so I'm very thankful for that but you know one of the things that I thought about was just how, how good God is and how he holds our life in his hands. And that that could have gone a very different way. Something could have happened. Michelle could have, like I was just thinking, what if her leg got cut off and she bled to death? You know, like all these things are going through my mind and I'm thinking whenever I travel, I'm going to travel with a tourniquet in case anything like that happens again, you know? I'm like, I should have one of those in my suitcase. But, um, you know, but just knowing that, that God is good and just thinking through, hey, the Lord has something in this for us, something in this for Michelle, uh, something in this for the lady. Anyway, just a wonderful thing. What a great Christmas. And the thing that I think about is when you think about how fragile life is, the difference between knowing our God and worshiping God and understanding that God holds life in his hands, whether we're blessed like Michelle and I were, or whether we face tremendous tragedy. Like if, if the worst possible thing would have happened, God is still good, God is still in control. And the fact that we are children of God means that nothing that strikes us in life is ultimately devastating um, because our eternity is secure. And, and when I think about it, that actually is the purpose of Christmas. And I just think about knowing the Christ of Christmas. And uh, as I just think about that, um, this Christmas season really should be focused on Christ. And that includes in the midst of tragedies, in the midst of all the good things and things that are happening at Christmas. We need to be mindful of Christ. And what's interesting is that the season of Christmas, which is about Christ, often with all the things going on at Christmas time, it actually can be a distraction from Christ. I was thinking about that on my Italy trip. We're walking around these churches that have this incredible art, incredibly beautiful things. And I'm looking at all that and thinking, you know, how often things in church or things in life can be a distraction from Christ instead of pointing us 
to Christ. And my prayer for, for myself and for all of us over this Christmas season is that we will be personally challenged and inspired by Jesus, that we will not go through the Christmas season um, think, being distracted, but that we will actually be thinking about who Jesus is. And one of the super significant things about that is that that needs to be true in our life so that we will be able to pass that on to our kids. I was thinking about all the distractions that we face as adults, and of course kids are distracted by Christmas gifts and things, but we have an opportunity in our families to be an example, to be personally inspired, and to train our kids to think about who Jesus is in this season. And the thing is, we will never train our kids to be mindful of Christ if we're not mindful of Christ. This season is an incredible opportunity to share the gospel with people that we come in contact with. But if we're distracted by all the trappings of Christmas, if we're not personally inspired by Christ, we will miss those opportunities. And so that's super, a super important thing. And you know what's interesting? That is Satan's purpose in life. Uh, his, his purpose is to keep people from seeing Jesus. We hear in 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, that Satan blinds the minds of the unbelieving. He is blinding the unbelieving world to Jesus, even in the midst of a holiday about Jesus. But he wants to distract believers from Jesus. Uh, Paul says this, I'm afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning that your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That sincere and pure devotion to Christ should be what occupies us over this Christmas season. And we need to remember uh, the opportunities that we have. So I read this blog that this lady wrote about how she came to know Christ at Christmas. I just want to read you her blog. She lives in Virginia, and uh, she came to know Christ in the Christmas season. I want to just read as she describes that. She said, Christmas has always been magical to me, like key ingredients of a favorite recipe. Sparkling lights, candy canes, and gingerbread create the perfect holiday. Because we didn't believe in God, my family saw Jesus as nothing more than a historical figure. Our Christmas celebrations centered on family, food, and fun. One of the things that stood out to me, she grew up in a non-Christian home. But I wonder how often in Christian homes does Christmas um, really surround, is it really occupied with family, food, and fun? Or is it occupied with Christ? But she's grown up as an unbeliever, and that's how she describes it. She said, I remember how the holiday season sparked interesting conversations in our home. We never understood why December 25th became the birth date of Jesus. Still, every year at Christmas, I couldn't help but thinking about Jesus. Could there be more to his story than what I understood? By the time the holidays ended, I usually forgot about Jesus. And then this is what she says is so key. She says, but during my senior year of college... A friend invited me to study the Bible over Christmas break. Since the holidays had rekindled my curiosity, I agreed. Beginning with the Gospel of John, our studies helped fill in the gaps of my understanding. One key scripture stood out to me. 
Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's John 8, 12. I had seen enough of the world to know that it can be very dark. This image of Jesus lighting our way out of the darkness resonated with me. As I reflected on the scripture, a friend shared with me why Christians purposefully chose to celebrate the birth of Christ during the winter solace. It all comes back to Jesus as the light of the world. By definition, the winter solace is the shortest day of the year. Each successive day is longer because it has more light. What a beautiful analogy for the light of Christ. Over that holiday season, I came to faith in Jesus as the Son of God and our Savior. Our sparkling lights at Christmas remind me of the light that I found in Jesus. Now, I think about how often at Christmas... Do we miss opportunities? Do we fail to walk through doors that God is opening in the lives of the people around us? One of the things that I remember for, G- for Michelle is uh, Michelle also grew up as an unbeliever, and she told me that, that after becoming a Christian, she would walk through shopping malls, and she would listen to Christmas songs, and she just thought, you know, my whole life, I've been hearing these Christmas songs about Jesus, but it never occurred to me what what they were singing about. And then after Michelle becomes a Christian, she just starts hearing the words, all the stuff that she missed. And, And we need to remember that God has put us as believers to worship Jesus, to see who Jesus is, that he is the center of our Christmas so that we don't miss an opportunity to point the unbelievers around us to Jesus. I want to tell you a few things. I I looked up this um, Barna survey about what Americans think of Jesus. This is a survey they did some years ago, and it was kind of interesting. You know, 92% of Americans believe that Jesus was a real person who actually lived. But I think like, like this lady that we heard the story of, Jesus was just a person. I think about the beauty of the birth of a baby. I was thinking about that with the Paths kid. You know, every single kid that's born, it's this amazing miracle. It is just beautiful. We love seeing kids. And when you think about the Christmas story, um, the Christmas story is such a great story about Mary and Joseph and and how they they got called back and they get to this town and there's nowhere for them to say, (laughs) nowhere for them to stay. I saw this little... This little thing about this innkeeper um, saying to some traveler at the same time, said, God himself couldn't get a room in the inn. It's, we're so full. <laughs> and, um, and it's like when you think about that, the story of some lady giving birth with animals and laying a baby in a manger, you know, that is just such an endearing, beautiful story. But the story of Jesus is so much more than a baby being born in a major. That really happened. That is true. There is beauty to that, but it is so much more significant than that. And so 92% of Americans believe that Jesus was a real person who lived. 56% of Americans believe that Jesus is God. 26% say he's a spiritual leader. 18% are not sure. So this is interesting. 56% believe Jesus is God, but 52% believe that 
Jesus didn't commit sin, or that Jesus committed sins. And so uh, what we end up with is 4% of people who believe Jesus was God also believe he sinned. So there is something seriously wrong with the theology of people, even that believe Jesus is God. Six in 10 people um, have made a personal commitment to Christ. If, if you were to ask people, have you made a personal commitment to Christ that is still significant in your life today? Six out of 10 people say yes to that. Uh, what's interesting, um, only uh, four and a half out of 10 believe he's sinless. So um, you have six out of 10 people have made a personal commitment to Christ, but um, a significant number of those believe he sinned. So even though they've made a personal commitment that is significant in their life today, they do not know the Jesus of the Bible. Um, did you know that if you're white, you are less likely to have made a personal commitment to Christ? And if you make more than $100,000 a year, you are less likely to have made a personal commitment to Christ. Of those who have made a personal commitment to Christ, only six in 10. So now we're just saying the people who have said that they've made a personal commitment to Christ, only six in 10 believe that they will go to heaven because of the work of Christ. So what that means of, of the people who say, I have made a personal commitment to Christ that is still significant in my life today, four out of 10 think that they're going to go to heaven because they're a good people, a good person, or they're going to go to heaven because they try to keep the Ten Commandments, or that they're going to go to heaven because God lets everyone go to heaven. So what that means is if you meet somebody and they say, I'm a Christian, I have made a personal commitment to Christ, four out of ten of the people who say that are definitely not going to heaven. And, and of the people who have the right theology about Jesus, there are many people who know Jesus is God, who know He's sinless, who know that He is the only basis for salvation, who are still not going to heaven. By the way, that described me. I grew up in church. I believed the truth. I knew the truth about Jesus. But I was unwilling to repent of my sin and make a commitment to follow Christ. If you would have had me take a survey, I would have got all those survey questions right, but I was not going to heaven. And so when we think about the opportunities that we have over this Christmas season, man, that is so significant. You know, one of the things that the Bible says um, about religion, it says this, and this is 2 Corinthians eleven four. If someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one whom you have accepted. By the way, a different Jesus is what the Mormons teach. A different Jesus is what the Jehovah Witnesses teach. A different Jesus you can find in all kinds of religions. Uh, the, the way to get to heaven, I was thinking about the Catholic Church. Catholic Church, one of their statements is, if you believe that a person goes to heaven and that good works 
are only the fruit of salvation and not the cause of salvation. You are to be accursed. Like the Catholic Church pronounces a curse on anybody who believes that good works are not a cause of salvation. And so we have all kinds of people who believe things that make it impossible for them to be saved who would say, I have made a personal commitment to Christ. And so as we think about this season, as we think about uh, Christmas, Christmas has to be about celebrating the Christ of Christmas. We have to know who He is. Galatians 1.6 says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. You know, it's, it's shocking to me that this verse in the New Testament saying if you believe a different gospel or if you're preaching a different gospel, you're to be accursed. And then we have these, quote, Christian religions that actually reverse, they quote that verse and they quote it as they proclaim a different gospel. I was thinking about that. We had some Jehovah Witnesses come to my house in the last week or so. And uh, I just had that my, you know, I have like certain things I always talk to Jehovah Witnesses about. And one of them is always their approach to the Bible. You know, the, the person who started the Jehovah Witness religion said that if you study the Watchtower, um, you'll come to know Christ. But even after studying that for 10 years, if you set it to the side and read the Bible alone, <laughs> you will go into darkness. And so I always say to the Jehovah Witnesses, I always say, I read that quote. I say, this is a guy who was a founder of the Jehovah Witness religion, right? And then I always say to them, you know, isn't it interesting that you say if somebody studies your writings, they come to light, but you say you believe the Bible, right? That it's God's word. And they say, yeah, it's God's word. And I say, okay, so God wrote it. And what you're telling me, what, what you're saying you believe is that if, if I study what God wrote himself by itself, that will lead me to darkness. Like, what do you think about that? And in, in my last two conversations, it's interesting because I've been in groups of, with groups of people, and you can always tell that there's one that's being trained, and then there's one that's training. And in both situations, the one that was being trained was like listening and really focused. <laughs> And the one that was doing the training, you want to know what one of the things that they were insisting? They were insisting Jesus is not God. That they, were inf- they were insisting that, and they were saying Jesus is not God. No, he, he is not God. He was created, is what they're saying about Jesus. And it, it was interesting to me how adamant they were in that. It's important for us that we understand who Jesus is. So when we think about the gospel, we're going to be looking this morning at John chapter 1. And John chapter 1 talks theologically 
about who Jesus is. And um, it's the theological significance. And then we're going to look at Matthew, um, which talks about, we'll look at that on Christmas Eve, which talks about Jesus as King and as Messiah. And we're going to be looking at Luke, which Luke really looks at the humanity of Jesus, Jesus taking on flesh. And so we're going to see those things worked out in history. So let's, let's read um, John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. We'll start by reading that. One of the first things that, that is so important for us is that we understand who the person of Jesus is. It says this in John chapter 1, verse 1, in, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And one of the powerful things that you see there, we're going to see a few things um, here, and I've listed the, the five of them, five attributes of God that we see in this passage that are undeniable attributes of God. When I have conversations with Jehovah Witnesses, I always ask them, who created the world? God. And then we, we look at this. We're going to read about that in this passage. But it says, in the beginning was the Word. So that's God's eternality. God was there in the beginning. What, what does it say in Genesis 1.1? We've been studying that, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so Jesus is eternal. He was in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. That's the Trinity. Because Jesus was eternal, and Jesus is with God. In other words, Jesus is not the Father. So you have the Father and you have Jesus, so a distinction of persons. And so Jesus was in the beginning with with God, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That, that is just to say that Jesus is God Himself. Colossians 2.9 says, In Him the whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus was physically the fullness of God. And then it goes on in verse 2. In the beginning... Uh, He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. That's one of the verses that I will read to Jehovah Witnesses, because they believe that Jesus was the first creation. Jesus was not created. He is not an angel. He made everything. And it's interesting how it's stated positively, and it's also stated negatively. And there was nothing that was made that he didn't make. So he is the creator. And then in verse 4, we see his self-existence, the fact that Jesus is the source of life. It says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, in him was life. That is talking about Jesus' self-existence. Nobody gave life to Jesus. Jesus had life within himself. So he was self-existent. And not only is Jesus self-existent, but all life came from Jesus. You know, when we read the creation account, it says that, that God in, in Genesis chapter 1 took Adam and formed him from dirt and then breathed the breath of life into him. Where does life come from? By the way, it was the second member of the Trinity. It was Jesus who formed Adam 
and who, who breathed life into him. And so Jesus is self-existent in himself, and Jesus was the one who gave physical life to Adam. And you know, Acts chapter 17, verse 28, Paul talks about that. He just says, talking about God, in him we live and move and have our being. So everybody who's living got their life from Jesus. Um, do you guys know John 14, 6? John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. So Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the truth. And Jesus is life. So not only is Jesus self-existent, Jesus gives life to every human being, but Jesus also imparts spiritual life. You know, John chapter 3, um, in chapter 3 of the Gospel of John, Jesus is talking, and he's just talking to Nicodemus, and he says, um, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's not just being living that makes you a child of God. To be spiritually alive is, is a, a gift of life. We have to be made alive because of Adam's sin. Humanity is born dead, separated from God. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 says this, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. So because of our trespasses and sins, even though we have physical life, we are born sinful, separated from God, and spiritually dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's how people are born. That's one of the things that we recognize about little kids. They're so beautiful. They're so cute. Man, I just remember when, when we brought our kids home from the hospital. Man, I just loved them. But one of the things I did is I prayed for them because I realized that this beautiful, cute kid is spiritually dead. And uh, I always try to encourage parents. Um, you don't have to be afraid of messing your kids up. That's how they come. They are born messed up. And so if your kids have problems in your life, don't blame yourself. They were born dead. They were born with problems. As parents, what we do is we pray for our kids and we try to do something to help them come to spiritual life. And we do that by praying for them. We do that by teaching them what the Bible says so that as they grow up, they learn to think about life. They, they learn to view life through the grid of Christianity, through the things that God says are true. And so we talk to them about consequences of sin and what it means to have faith in God and how to trust God. And, and we talk to them, it's so important that kids understand about Genesis and where sin came from and why there's bad things in the world. So that as they get up and they, they think, man, there was an earthquake, everybody died. Little kids from the time they're small need to know, yeah, that's because Adam sinned. Adam sinned, and that caused the fall of creation. And so we need to help kids, as they're growing up, to read the Bible, to think about life through the lens of what God says is true. So that as they look at life, they're not getting the wrong lessons from it. Because Satan's out there trying to spew lies, just like he did for Adam and Eve to try to convince them to think wrongly about things. The world is trying to teach people to think wrongly. It's our job to lay that foundation. We can, you cannot make a kid be a Christian. But what you can do is teach them truth. 
you can pray for them, and you can set an example of actually living. And that's partly Christmas. Man, what happens when we as parents uh, miss Christ in the midst of Christmas rather than being an example of people who see Christ? You know, one of the things that I was thinking about is that people learn not just from how they're educated. They learn from what they watch. There's people who know things that they never studied because they've just seen those things lived out. And often we as Christians say one thing, but with our life we teach something else. And so we need to be people that are teaching our kids and praying for them. And we need to recognize who Jesus is. The second thing is that we need to have an appreciation for the ministry of Christ. We need to think about why Jesus came. So who Jesus is, we can't miss that or we'll miss Christmas. We need to think about the purpose. Jesus, why did he come? And here's one of the things that we'll see here is it says in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. This is talking about John the Baptist. And one of the things that I want to say about John the Baptist is he just preached about Jesus, and he pointed to Jesus. You know what the interesting thing is? Is how powerful the message of Jesus is. I just think about John the Baptist. You know that when Herod had John the Baptist killed, you know, he killed John the Baptist, And when Jesus comes, Jesus starts healing dead people, raising them from the dead, healing sick people, giving blind people sight, casting demons out of people. And when Herod hears about all the miracles that Jesus is doing, do you know what he says? He says, "Um, I think John the Baptist came back to life. Isn't it amazing that when you think about the powerful miracles of Jesus, Herod, from a distance, looks at that and says, that must be John the Baptist. You know, when you think about that connection, the message and the truth about Jesus is so powerful that it was confused, like miracles... John never did miracles. He just preached. When you think about how powerful message of Jesus is. I don't heal anybody. I've never healed anybody. I've never raised anybody from the dead. I have prayed for people, and I have seen God um, heal, and I don't know if it's because of my prayer, because usually other people were also praying, and I know there's somebody in this church that whenever they pray, God answers prayer. The most amazing things, and I, I really am still trying to figure out, there's somebody who whenever they pray, God answers those prayers. I'm still trying to figure out who that is. You know, God listens to somebody around here. He probably listens to all of us. But the message that we preach is powerful. And we need to think about Jesus' purpose because that's what we're preaching. Verse 9 says, The true light, which gives light to everyone. Jesus came to save the whole world. It says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not 
receive him. You know, when you think about Jesus' saving purpose, it was the entire world. Jesus came for everybody. Yes, Jesus was a Jew. Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Jews. And so he came to the Jewish nation. He came to save the Jewish nation. But it's interesting how John goes from uh, wide to small. And he just says that Jesus came to the whole world and the world rejected Jesus. Jesus came to the Jews, his own people, and his own people rejected him. We need to think about the purpose of Jesus's ministry. We need to appreciate that. Jesus came for everyone. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We need to recognize who Jesus is. We need to recognize why Jesus came, his, his purpose. And then we recognize, too, that um, you know the light of Jesus has been universally given to everybody. Did you guys know that? You know, one of the things I think about is that, that God does something unique and special in a person's life. You know, Ephesians 1 talks about how God chooses people for salvation. Um, Acts chapter 14, verse 16, Lydia says that she heard the word of God and it says God opened her heart to believe. So God does these unique, unique miracles in saving people. But did you know that God has done a unique miracle in every single person's life who's ever lived? Did you know that? It says in Romans chapter 1, verse 19, for what, God, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God showed it to them. There is not a person on earth that does not know who God is in their heart because God has put that knowledge in them. Romans chapter 2 is talking about the unbelieving world. And it says that when people instinctively do the works of the law, they show God's law written in their hearts. When we think about God's saving purpose, God has done in every single person's heart. He's given them what it takes to be saved. That's one of the things I think about. Um, like I remember as a, as a young believer, I would have conversations with Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, various people. So like as a new believer, I would share the gospel. And the truth is, sometimes like if you were to just figure out who gave the better argument, <laughs> who did a better job in presenting their case, um, often it was the Jehovah Witness who, gave a, who did a better job than I did. Like I'm walking out of that conversation going, yeah, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know how I'd have to go back and think about that and study that. And one of the things that I realized is that my primary goal is actually not to win an argument. I think about that today. I had a conversation with some Jehovah Witnesses when I was uh, walking the Mission Viejo Lake. And I talked about all these issues with the deity of Jesus. And I talked about you know, what their views of, um, of God's word and the Bible and how they think about that. And, and as I left that conversation, Michelle and I, we, we were just talking and I said, you know, I really blew it because I kind of left the conversation on these issues. And they were the ones who were walking away with questions. But you know why I blew it? I blew it because I didn't share the gospel. Um, we were talking about the view of Scripture. We were talking about who Jesus was. But what I didn't do is I didn't just take a step back and say, we're all sinners. 
Jesus came to die for our sins. He was God in the flesh. He paid the price for our sins. And if we put our faith in Jesus, if we trust Him for salvation, not ourselves, not our works, but if we put our faith in Jesus and we believe in Him, we're saved. God will save us. And the thing that um, I recall and that I remember and that I try to remind myself of is all you have to do is share the gospel. Because even if you lose an argument in their heart, they know it's true. And so it's, you know, I just, I prayed about that. I'm like, God, I've been a Christian for far too long to have messed that up. And so I, I, and so like two days later, I'm, I'm in my driveway doing something at home and these three more Jehovah Witnesses show up and they come start a conversation with me in my house. And I just said, God, thank you. So I did all the same things I always do, but I didn't miss that opportunity to just present the gospel. And so I just was thanking God. I'm like, God, I messed it up this time. Thank you for giving me another chance. Uh, The Bible tells us why people reject. Did you know that nobody rejects Jesus because they don't have enough information. Um, People reject Jesus, and it's actually explained in this passage. John chapter 3, verse 19, it says this, and this is the judgment. It says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light because their works are evil. You know why people reject Jesus? It's not because they need more information. It's because they're evil. They love their darkness. Uh, they, they don't want to acknowledge that there is a God who created the world that they will one day be accountable to. And so they suppress that. They deny that. They reject it because they want to be their own God. Look at what it says in verse 12 of John. We need to be uh, committed to proclaiming uh, salvation. It says this in uh, John chapter 1, verse 12. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You know, it's interesting when you're talking to Jewish people. Jewish people were pretty proud of their heritage, the fact that they were born Jews. I remember um, Michelle, when she was, um, before we had kids, she worked selling jewelry. And so um, Michelle and I, we, every time she had a job, I learned all about it. So if you give me a diamond, I can look at it, and I could probably tell you what color it is. I could tell you if it's an SI, a VVS1, a VS1. So Michelle learned all that stuff, and I did too. And so, you know, we were studying all, you know, I, I always learned stuff she was doing. But she worked in this jewelry store, and her assistant manager, um, I remember one things we used to always do. And I love, I always loved it when Michelle was working in other places. And this is true today. Michelle works today. But one of my favorite things about it is that in her job, it it connects us with unbelievers. And um, sometimes her manager will come and she'll travel around. And one of the things I love is like the VP of her company comes and will spend the day with her. And they'll be driving all up the state of California and visiting all these places. And when Michelle comes home, she always tells me about the conversations that she has. And she shares the gospel. Every time somebody sits in the car with Michelle, she starts talking to them. And you know, being married to me is a great opportunity for her because everybody's shocked. Um, everywhere Michelle works, 
when, when it finally comes around to, you're married to a pastor, I don't know what people think of pastors or pastor's wives, they think they're really weird or something like that, and they're, but you're just like such a normal person and I like you, and, and you're so cool, and you're married to a pastor, that is so weird. In fact, one of her managers used to love introducing me to his friends. And so he would invite me over and he would invite all his friends and he'd say, hey, I got a pastor coming over. You guys want to meet a pastor? It's because none of them have actually had a conversation with a pastor before. So I was like this, I was like his little display thing, you know, hey, Raj came over, come check this out. He seems like a normal guy. And, um, but so people find out that Michelle's married to a pastor that always opens up the door and she talks about how she came to know Christ and she shares the gospel with them. Often, the people that she's sharing the gospel with go to church. And she'll be talking to them and she figures out, yes, this is one of those people that goes to church because they want to be a good person and they don't actually know Christ. And so she'll talk to them about the difference between religion and a genuine relationship with God. And that's one of the things that I just love are the opportunities I've had to talk to people. But I just love how how Michelle does that so well. And, and I think about why. And I think the reason that she's probably so good at sharing the gospel with people she works with is because that's how she got saved. Uh, she was working selling cars. And her manager became a Christian and started sharing the gospel with her. And she actually came to know Christ because somebody at work talked to her about who God was. And so um, she shares the gospel with people, and I just love that. And it just says, um, but, but just in this, um, it's not like we're not born into uh, being a Christian. You know, your kids can be born in your home. They can be raised in church. That does not make them a Christian. You can be born a Jew. That does not give you a special relationship with God. Every relationship with God, we're not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. You know, you can't make somebody else be a Christian. We can't force that on anybody. It's actually not even our own will that saves us. It says, nor of the will of, of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And while God has done everything, um, he's given everybody everything they need to come to know him, it takes a miracle. God works in the heart of people to open up their eyes to see the truth. And it... Um, Paul preached the gospel, and this is something for us to remember. You know, it's our job to represent Christ well, to proclaim the gospel to people, but how people respond to that is actually not within our control, and it's not our responsibility. It is our responsibility to be faithful, to live the gospel, to live it out, to communicate it with our words. Think about Acts 17.32. Paul preaches about the resurrection and it just says this, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Others said, we'll hear you again. You ever share the gospel with somebody and have them mock you? Yeah. That's ridiculous. This is crazy. What kind of a foolish person are you? Um, or, you know, that was a very interesting conversation. We'll have to talk about that again. Um, that's how some of the people re responded to Paul. But then it goes on and it says, but some men joined him and believed. And so we're, it's our job to share the gospel, to make sure we're not missing who Christ is, and, and to receive the gospel. We, we need to hear it. We need to take hold of it. We need to receive it. We need to believe what Jesus is saying. 
And uh, that's what saves a person. And I, I, I think about Mark 9.24. It's just such a great verse. Um, it's, it's, it's a man who is asking Jesus to heal their kid, his kid. And uh, Jesus says, you know, everything is possible for somebody who believes. And this guy looks at Jesus and he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. Like, that's what I've said to people who, who have said, man, I, I, just, I just can't believe. And I would say, well, do you want to believe? Ask God to help you believe. And I encourage people, pray. Ask God for help. Ask God to show himself to you. Ask God to give you the ability to believe. As we as believers, as we think about sometimes our lack of faith or the ways that we struggle, those are things that we shouldn't be ashamed of, we shouldn't hide. Those are things we should just say, God, help me with this. And so um, that's, that's who Jesus is. I want to look at verse 14. And this, this is the theological truth of what we're going to read about in Luke when we talk about the birth of Jesus being laid in a manger, the angels coming and uh, announcing him to the shepherds and the shepherds coming and worshiping. So we're going to read about that. That'll be next week. And then on Christmas Eve, we'll talk about the wise men. <laughs> so it was so funny. Um, we put up our... Um, our, our nativity display on the corner on, Rancho, on, on the boulevard out there. And uh, somebody was like, hey, we're missing parts. We don't have any shepherds for our nativity scene. And my initial reaction is, oh, darn, I forgot to order those. And I was going to get some, uh, and then I was going to order them. But then I remembered why I didn't order the, the uh, wise men. Do you know that the wise men didn't show up when Jesus was, was, in, was in the manger? Like, they came much later. So we'll learn about that. That's Matthew. We'll learn about that on Christmas Eve. But um, it says this in verse 14, the theological truth behind that historical reality, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him, and he cried out, he, he is the one whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. So John was born first. Jesus was born second. And John says that Jesus was before him because Jesus eternally existed. Jesus didn't come into existence at his birth. Jesus was in the beginning. It says, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And that is the, the, the story. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So in this Christmas season, we are never going to represent Jesus the way we should. And I'm just going to tell you, you're going to miss the worship and you're going to miss the joy of Christmas if in your heart it's not about Jesus. If you're so stressed out about who's going to come eat at your house, are you going to have enough gifts, what about the decorations? What about all the family drama? Um, if, if you are focused on all of those things, instead of being focused on who Jesus is, you will miss out on an opportunity to worship. You will miss out on the genuine joy that comes from Christmas. And the other thing that you're going to miss out on is you are going to miss out on the opportunities that God gives you to talk about who Jesus is. So the people that, um, there's this, this, this person that I eat, go out to eat with sometimes, and there's this other lady, like there's this, this man in my life, and there's this lady in my life, and they're my friends. 
But one of the things that I just absolutely love is whenever I'm around them and they share the gospel, it is just so natural. It's not odd. It's not weird. They are bold, like a waitress will come up and they're just serving us. They just start talking to them about the Lord. And, and people that no matter where they are, no matter who they're with, they just talk about who Jesus is. And one of the things that I found is that they're not thinking to themselves, okay, um, let me memorize this gospel presentation. I'm going to go say it to people. Um, they actually are just talking about what's important to them. They're just thinking about life. They just think about who Jesus is, and they just talk about what Jesus means to them. And it's so, just so natural and so not weird. Um, have you ever seen those people that are weird? Uh, I remember one time I was on Lancaster Boulevard when I was a, right after I became a Christian, and this guy's walking up and down. He had this cross over his shoulder. And he came over and he pointed at me and he was saying, you're going to hell. And he started yelling at me. And, and uh, after he did all that, I just said, actually, I'm a Christian and everybody in this line, we're all from a church and we're all going to the movies. It's like he was just yelling at us, condemning us all um, for going to hell because we were hanging out on the boulevard where everybody was cruising. And, you know, as, I, I think that's a mistake. I've never, I've never said to kids, just go start yelling at people. But you want to know what a bigger mistake is than that? You can make a bigger mistake than to be odd and sharing the gospel. You can make a bigger mistake than saying things wrong or having weird relationships. And the biggest mistake anybody makes is to be so polite that they never talk about God. And I was thinking about Jonah. You know, Jonah was the absolute worst missionary. He hated people that God sent him to. He's like... God gives them this message. And you know what Jonah does? Jonah goes to Nineveh, and he just, uh, the, the, his only recorded message is, God's going to kill you all. He just walks through saying, God's going to kill you all. And he has such a bad attitude. He is like the worst missionary in the world. And then he goes, sits up on a hill, and he sees these people repent. And he sees God forgive them. And he's just so mad. He's up there saying, I knew this is what would happen if I went and preached. You would forgive these people. I know you're loving and you're gracious and you're merciful and you'd forgive them. I knew that was what happened. That's why I didn't want to come here. And I would just think if, if God can save through a person with a bad attitude and a bad heart, he can save through your clumsy attempts at sharing the gospel. And so we need to be people. The biggest mistake we make is to not share the gospel. And I want to close with a story. I want to read it to you. And Justin Worth already shared this. And so I want to close it. This is something written by an atheist. You guys have heard of Penn, right? The uh, comedian. Yes. Uh, he is an atheist. And this is what he says, and I want us to think about this coming from an atheist. He says this, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there is a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not worth telling them because it would be socially awkward and atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say, just leave me alone. 
and keep your religion to yourself, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that there's everlasting life, that everlasting life is possible, and not tell them that? So here's an atheist saying, if you don't proselytize, it's because you hate people. So what I want to tell you is if people come to your house for Christmas and they're your family and you don't share the gospel with them, you hate them. If you go to work and you say to yourself, work is about business, we shouldn't bring religion into work, if you approach life that way, you hate those people. If in your neighborhood you say hi to your neighbors and you um, are kind of polite and you talk about football with them and you don't share the gospel with your neighbors, you hate your neighbors. And you don't have to be weird. You can pray for opportunities. You don't necessarily have to force it. Like I've, I've done that where I have people that I'm having a hard time bringing things up with them and I just pray, God, open up the door. Give me an opportunity. And sometimes God, like I, I just accidentally find myself sharing the gospel with somebody. It's like I didn't even do a good job. God just opened up the door. This is what he says. He finishes it off. He says, I mean, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that the truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I would tackle you. And this is more important than that. So think about that. And what I would just say is this. I think the best thing we can do is not feel guilty and all that stuff about not talking to people more. When Jesus is big in your life, when from the bottom of your heart you worship Jesus, when he's what's on your mind, it, those things will just come naturally. And it's Satan's goal to distract you with all the other stuff. And I just want to encourage you that having an awkward, weird conversation is not near as bad as saying nothing at all. Let me pray. God, thank you for giving us your word. God, I thank you that um, salvation doesn't depend on us. Lord, if we mess things up, if we say things wrong, it happens to me all the time. Lord, um, you are big enough and powerful enough to save people. It is an incredible privilege that you allow us to be able to share the gospel. God, I pray that you would help us to just be so full of you that we would have so much love for you, that that would occupy our mind and our attention, and that talking about you would come naturally. Lord, help us to just work on our own hearts this season, and then be amazed at the things that you do in your name. Amen.